chapter 21. Today we are part two of our breakdown of chapter 21. As we continue our subject, which we've entitled Slipping Away, and today we continue slipping away in the right place. Slipping away in the right place. Why are relationships so hard? Why is it so difficult for a man and a woman to get along? Three newlywed men were talking. The first one said, I married a girl from Texas. And I told her, I expect you to mow the grass, to do the laundry, to clean the house, and have a hot meal ready for me every day when I come home. Well, what happened, asked, asked the other two. Well, the first day I didn't see anything, but by the second day she started to do it. The second guy said, well, I married a girl from Utah. And I told her I'd expect you to mow the grass, do the laundry, clean the house, have a hot meal ready for me every day, and make sure the kids are clean. What happened? Asked the other two. Well, the first day I didn't see anything. And the second day I didn't see anything either. But by the third day, I started to see results, and she was doing it. Well, then the third guy talked. He said, well, I married a girl from Michigan. <laughs> and I told her I expect you to mow the grass, do the laundry, clean the house, have a hot meal ready for me, have the kids clean, and make sure to wash my car. <laughs> what happened, the other two asked, expecting the same results. Well, the first day I didn't see anything. And the second day I didn't see anything. And the third day I didn't see anything either. But around the fourth day, the swelling started to go down. <laughs>
Let me just say this. If your relationship with God is wrong, your relationship with everyone else will be wrong. You see, for most of you in here, you don't have a marriage problem. You have a God problem. You don't have a boss problem. You have a God problem. You don't have a wife problem. Well, we all have. No, you don't have a wife problem. You have a God problem. You don't have a church family problem. You have a God problem. You don't have a pastor problem. You have a God problem. See if I got that in there, Mark? See, David is running from his life from King Saul. And if anybody has an excuse to bend the rules right now, well, we would think it's David. But as we start this, I want to give you one more thought. To just God honors actions, not intentions. God honors actions, not intentions. Another way maybe might be it's never right to do the wrong thing for the right reasons. It's never right to do the wrong thing for the right reasons. Meaning, I, I did something completely wrong outside of God's will, but my intentions were honorable. My intentions were to make sure that this takes place and does right. Meaning, God doesn't want you to, this is obvious, God doesn't want you to rob a bank to pay for food for your kids. What God wants you to do is get a job. But see, that's really easy for us when it's us being robbed, but sometimes we rob in other ways, we rob in other places. My intentions were true, Pastor. But that, that's not what God cares about. God cares about your actions. Listen, God blesses blessable behavior. And if you want God to bless you, make sure you have behavior that he can bless. David is running from his life, and he runs to the man of God, and he runs to the right man, and he runs to the right place to meet the man of God, but he is slipping away. Last week, we started off our breakdown of this chapter. We said first, using David's life as a background to give us a warning. We say spiritual life slipping away, number one, has leadership that is decaying. And last week, we pointed out that David has a king who was rejected by God. And he will go in verse 1 to a priest who was disqualified by God. How can a nation or a church thrive spiritually when the leadership they have is decaying? And by the way, how can a church thrive spiritually when the leadership is decaying? If you are here today and you are a Sunday school teacher, God holds you to a higher standard. If you are here today and you are a deacon, God holds you to a higher standard. If you are here today and you are involved in teaching a child or in the ministry, God holds you to a higher standard. How can Oakland Woods thrive when the leadership is spiritually decaying? Amen? Amen. So last week we looked at also that David, we met a man. We looked at Hebrews chapter 7, a man by the name of Melchizedek. We pointed out we first meet him in Genesis 14, when Abraham offers him tithes and offerings, and he comes there. He is the person who starts the order that Jesus is a priest in, and we spent a lot of time looking at that. And we said last week, we said that only Jesus could be holy enough to be again a priesthood he could follow. Jesus is in pre-incarnate state, pre-cross, pre-flesh, pre-Bethlehem, in that pre-incarnate state in Genesis chapter 14. He is the pre-incarnate Christ. He is Melchizedek, who Abraham offers tithes and offerings there. And we pointed out last week, and we emphasized this greatly, Jesus is your priest if you're saved. Amen? Amen. You don't need an earthly man or anybody else. I am not your go-between between you and God. Your go-between between you and God is your heaven, is Jesus. He is your high priest if you're saved. But the problem is that David needed a priest and a king. And we asked you this question last week. Jesus is your priest if you're saved, but is he your king today? So today, point number two, 
a spiritual life slipping away, we'll choose excuse over opportunity. We'll choose excuse over opportunity. Look at verse 2. And David said unto Himelech the priest, let me remind you, he is the great-grandson of Eli. And Eli's descendants, as we pointed out last week, were disqualified from being a priest. And David, David said unto Himelech the priest, the king, and let me also point out that the king is King Saul, who God has removed and rejected from being king, hath commanded me a business, and has saith unto him, by the way, isn't it easy right here for David to pull one of these that we like to pull? Well, respect is, respect is earned. You know, if, if, and that's a nice way of saying, if I don't respect you, uh, then that's fine. I don't have to listen to you. Uh, it would be very easy for someone today to say, well, I didn't vote for the president, so I don't have to follow that rule. Well, I don't like this, and we have a bad governor, so I don't have to follow that rule. David is basically trying to pull one of those and basically saying, hey, I've got a bad king, I've got a bad priest, so I'm going to bend the rules to everybody else isn't living for Jesus, so why do I have to? Let no man know anything of the business. Whereabout I send it? He's saying Saul has told him this. And I have communed thee, commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Next to verse 2, there's really two things you should put. Next to verse 2, put one word, lie. What David is doing here right there in verse 2 is a flat-out lie. And if you'd like to put notes in your Bible, also put chapter 22, verses 9 through 18. We will see the consequences. Chapter 22, verses 9 through 18. We'll see the consequences of David's lie. David has an opportunity right here to tell the truth. These men are unarmed. They're not a threat to David. They're men of God. And he chooses an excuse over an opportunity to tell the truth. The decisions you make in your life, everyday decisions. See, here's the thing. The big ones we usually get pretty, pretty good. You get the obvious ones. That person annoys you, right, and while you're driving. You get the big one, don't run into them at the red light, right? Oh, you wanted to be in front of me? How about be way in front of me and hit them, right? Those type of decisions we usually get right, the big, huge ones. But it is the everyday, small decisions about simple things like truth. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to make your decisions based on truth. Can I just stop for a moment? I don't discuss, haven't discussed this too much because it hasn't come up, but I just feel wild to talk about this for just a second. We are not helping this generation by telling them lies like, you can choose your own gender. Science is truth. And science says there's either an XY and you're a boy, or an XX and you're a girl. Now, should we mock these people? Should we physically harm these people? Should we drive these people to commit suicide? No, God forbid. But if you really love someone, you tell them the truth. We are not doing this generation a favor by placating some of the nonsense that's been going on, especially on college campuses. The truth, what Jesus said, what does the truth do? The truth sets you free. Right. I don't talk. I haven't mentioned that lately, so I thought I'd mention that. You know what? This is a great advertisement for Gary. This is a great advertisement for discipleship. Because here's the problem. Lies, heresies, all these things, they change constantly. But you know what doesn't change? The truth. 
don't study heretics, don't study cults, don't study all the false things. Study the truth, because if you study the truth and know the truth, every time there's a false teaching, every time there's a heretic, every time there's somebody that says something, you'll instantaneously go, wait a second, this isn't right. Something's wrong here. This isn't jiving with what the Bible says. Somebody comes up to you and says, well, Jesus wasn't God when he was born, but he became God. This is Mormon doctrine. You don't have to study Mormon doctrine to know that. You just have to know that Jesus Christ yesterday, today, the same forever. Study the truth and you'll know the falsehood. If you're going to make correct decisions in your life, you need to know the truth. But yet here, this small decision will cost people their lives. Because David chose excuse over opportunity. If you're taking notes, let me give you three things real quick here. David chose a lie over the truth. Lies are easy to do, but they're hard to remember. David chose convenience over convictions. Sometimes convictions will cost you a Facebook friend. Sometimes, instead of letting quiet, well, for the sake of the family, how about you stand up and say, well, no, this is our family's conviction and we're not going to bend. David will choose ultimately all of these, though, himself over others. David didn't do this because he was lying to protect others. He didn't do this because he was trying to take care of other people. He did this because he was trying to take care of himself. Somebody said this. The path to death starts with a detour from the truth. And I love this little story. A Buddhist in Africa accepted Jesus as his savior. They asked the Buddhist, why did you change your faith? Here's what he said. It's like this. If you were walking alone and come to a fork in the road and two men were there, one was dead and the other was alive, which man's directions would you follow? Today, you've chosen Jesus. You've chosen the truth. Now, believer in Jesus Christ, choose to make your decisions based on that truth. The third thing we see in a spiritual life slipping away is number three. A spiritual life slipping away demands God meets their needs. Look at verse three. Now, therefore, what is under thy hand? Look at David talking to the man of God this way. Give me five loaves of bread in thy hand for what there is present. You cannot command God to work no more than you can command a person to change. But that's how we treat God. In fact, there's a whole group of people on TV, Word of Faith, and Kevin Copeland, and Joyce Meyer, and Joel Olstein's part of this group, that will teach you that your words God has to obey. Just say it in faith. That by faith, God has to do everything you say. And God wants you to always be healthy. I don't know why there's hospitals there. God always wants you to be healthy. God always wants you to be rich. That's also important, too, because God wants you to be rich. God never wants a Christian to be poor. Listen, what you're really saying to God is you are my puppet. And you have to do what I say. Great theological words. Sovereignty. Simple way of definition. God gets to do whatever he wants. God thankfully has limited himself to some things. God can't stop loving me. And the Lord knows he probably would if he could. God can't take away my salvation. God won't destroy this earth by water ever again. He will by fire one day. But God
God can do whatever he wants. Listen, there's a diff big difference. And I'm not, when we could walk down the path of discussing, are people who, are you really saved if you believe God has to do what you say? I, I don't, that's a different discussion that I'm a part of. But this is what I do know is this. God is not met our commands. We are to live out God's commands. God is not met our commands. We are to live out God's commands. What David is talking about here, the bread he's talking about, saying, give it to me, is what's called the show bread. It's what's inside the tabernacle and what will soon be the temple. Turn over to Mark chapter 2 as we do. I want to show you something here. This show bread, this bread that the priest is holding that David is commanding to have because he's hungry, it symbolizes God's provision for his people. Mark chapter 2. There would be 12 loaves that would be changed every Sabbath. Here's some references for you if you'd like to take notes. Exodus 25.30, Exodus 25.30, and Leviticus 24.5-9. Leviticus 24.5-9. It says that the priest and the priest alone could remove this bread from the temple or the tabernacle, and the priest and the priest alone could eat it. So was David wrong to eat the bread? Well, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is going to reference our passage of Scripture here. In Mark 2, verse 23, it's the Sabbath. And Jesus and his disciples are hungry. And so what do they do? They pick corn. Look at verse 23. And it came to pass as he went through the, the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began, as they went to pluck the, corn, the ears of corn, and the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they do, why do they on the Sabbath day uh, that which is not lawful? Let me stop here for just a moment. Let me remind you that the Sabbath was not necessarily designed for you not to do anything. The Sabbath was a break from the law. But it is not against the law, Moses' law that God gave him. It is not against Moses' law that they are breaking. What they are breaking is man's law. You see, God created some rules, some basic principles, and then religion took over, and the Pharisees started to add to these rules and add to these principles, and they would go further and further and further and further and further, and now we have certain things. So God says, be holy, and they add a few more little things about what exactly does holiness look like, and how should you behave, and what should you do. Some of these rules that they added were ridiculous, like traveling, you weren't supposed, they said, well, you're not supposed to travel. Well, how far is too far to travel? Oh, well, how about a mile? So in order to get away from it, because religion is great for giving you excuses for being bad, they would take possessions that they had and they would leave every mile or so a possession and say, well, this is my home, so I'm only traveling a mile from my home. Just so that they could get around their own man-made rules. Back here at verse 25. And he said unto them, have you never read what David did? This is what we're talking about right here. Jesus is referencing it. Have you never read what David did when he was had need and was hungry, hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, he is Ahimelech's son, who he's talking to, the high priest, and did say the and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. Jesus is trying to create a rule and a mentality. And here's the rule that Jesus is trying to teach them, and it's this. Throw it up here. People are more important than rules. People are more important than rules. You see, the average church, the average church says, conform to our rules, and then we will love you. 
Jesus never rebuked a sinner, did he? He only rebuked religious people, the Pharisees. We are told to love people no matter where they're at. Amen? amen. We are called to point people to Jesus. Say amen. amen. We are told and taught to teach them the truth. Say amen. amen. So what that means is we need to be patient. We need to be patient with kids. They break things. <laughs> right, Greg? And sometimes they have, we have these things called deacons who act like kids who help break things with them. <laughs> Jim Merrill. We need to be patient with new Christians. Can I also say this? As I mentioned before, we need to be kind to people who are not believers yet. Well, Pastor Steve, did you see that parade? Yeah, that's ridiculous. I totally agree with you. Pastor Steve, my son, is he's, he's, he's living with his girlfriend. I, I am just going to go over to his house, and with my large Schofield Reference King James Bible, I'm going to hit him in the face until he sees right. Have you ever known anyone to do right because they were rotten? Uh, ladies, I've never known anyone to do right because they were mad.
Jesus states it this way. Look at verse 27. And when he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Can we just give a big amen? Thank you. Amen. These rules were designed to help us. We weren't designed to make sure to keep the rules. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Why does Jesus mention David? Well, he does it for three reasons. Number one, we think we know it. He does it to illustrate the absurdity of man's law. The absurdity of man's law. We had another rule growing up, and I never really understood it. And my brother-in-law, who passed away, he didn't sing in the choir for one reason. Because you weren't allowed to sing in the choir if you had a beard. <laughs> weren't allowed to sing if you had a beard. Today, their pastor has a beard. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything to him, but I thought, you're not allowed to be on the stage. What happened? <laughs> Sometimes rules can be really absurd. Number two, to reveal that, that, what, that David did nothing wrong in eating the bread. Next to your Bible, put this amazing passage, Deuteronomy 23.25. Deuteronomy 23.25. And it's called the Law of Necessity. The Law of Necessity. <coughs> if your ox is in the ditch, sometimes you've got to get them out. Amen? Sometimes they're sick. Look, sometimes you have to work on something. They make you. They say, if you don't come in and work, if you don't do this, you won't have a job. Sometimes that has to happen. But there's a big difference between that sometimes happening and you volunteering to work on Sunday because you get triple time. And there's a big difference between that and you going out up north to see your cottage or you going up north because you bought a new boat. Didn't get Jay Lynn there, Mark. Amen? Amen. It's a law of necessity. Number three, to demonstrate that he was Lord of the Spirit. To the Jewish society, there was nothing greater than the Sabbath. So was David wrong to eat the bread? Well, yes and no. David was not wrong to eat the bread because he was hungry, he needed it, it was there, the law of necessity said he could have it. But what David was wrong? David was wrong because he demanded of God. It wasn't wrong because David needed to eat this and it was completely right if he asked for it. It would have been completely right if the priest had said, look, you're, you're starving. This is just bread. I, I was going to throw some of it away because I can't eat all of it because I'm on a low-carb diet. Here's some of it. <laughs> Take some of this and eat it. Nothing wrong with that because people are more important than rules. The problem with David was he started to walk away from God and slip away from God in the right place and he began to demand from God. It is easy to slip away from the relationships that matter the most. It is even more easier to slip away from God. The most important relationship is God. And you know what? It's even easy to slip away from God right here in church. Right sitting in church listening to one of the greatest messages you're going to hear this year. It's one of the greatest pastors you've ever heard. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. The rest of you. <laughs> it is easy to sit here in church and slowly slip away and not even realize it. There's a story I want to share with you. The story of a young man raised in church, but struggling. Struggling to 
what he was going to do with this thing called Jesus. He had accepted Christ when he was younger, but now as a teenager, he needed to make a decision as he started to graduate. He needed to make a decision about what Jesus was going to be in his life. And you see, he wasn't into gangs, he wasn't into drugs, he wasn't doing anything illegal. He was just a church kid sitting in a pew, wondering how real to make Jesus in his life. And then the time for special music came up. And an older lady, she was really old, she had to be 45. <laughs> an older lady who sang all the time in church got up and began to sing a song that he'd heard before. But that song that he'd heard before, this time she sang it slower and acapella. And the words penetrated his heart. These were the words. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are noble, these have all alerted my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. And by the time they got to the last verse, I am resolved, and who will go with me? Come, friends, without delay. Taught by the Bible, led by the Spirit, we'll walk the heavenly road. By the time that fifth verse came up, his answer was clear. See, you can slip away in the right place. And you can let your relationship with God begin to deteriorate. And it even can take place in a pew at church. And you find yourself starting to come and demand things from God instead of serve Him. God, you must do this. God, you must take care of me. God, this has to happen. God, how dare this take place? The cure, well, the only cure is to resolve. To commit to him. Greg put up that first verse again. That I am resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are noble. These have alerted my sight. I will hasten to him. Hasten.
hearts can be. To look at your word and to see the amazing connection. But Father, most importantly, you'll challenge us today as believers in Jesus Christ. Lord, rules are good and give us guidelines, but Father, help us to never choose a rule over a person. Help us to never compromise the truth while we love people. 